This is episode 101 of the uh, Tech Takeout from Grant Wood AEA. My name is Jonathan Wiley, and I am joined again by Mindy Carney. Again, here we are. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Mindy. 2022. My wife was just telling me the other day she's already struggling with writing 2022 on dates and things Mm -hmm. like that because... She hasn't developed the muscle memory yet yeah, for, right. for writing or putting that in there. Here we are. Yeah, and here we are, 2022. Mm-hmm. That was really <laughs> sad and pathetic. I hope 2022 is better than the introduction to this podcast. <laughs> let's hope it is. Yeah. So maybe we should just move swiftly yeah, on Yeah, let's then. just get going. My yeah, goodness, we need to bring up going. the energy a smidge. All right. All right. So news and follow-up. Okay. Um, I'm going to bring the energy back down here. Yeah. Uh, because <laughs> I saw this. What in the world? Okay. Just Continue. over the Christmas break, yeah. there was a tool I saw going around Twitter quite a lot by a few different people. And oh. It was called Animated Drawings by Meta AI Research. Okay. All right. And... On the face of it, this looks like a really uh, cool and interesting thing. What you do is, it says, bring children's drawings to life by animating characters to move around. Oh, okay. And you click get started, you upload a picture from your child, Mm -hmm. and it will scan the picture. And you just identify, you know, where the limbs are and where the joints are, Mm -hmm. and then you can turn it into this all singing, all dancing little gif. Um, oh, yeah. I remember when Toontastic used to kind of do this a little bit. Toontastic used yeah, to kind of do yeah, this. Yeah. And didn't we talk to an know, that's app was, developer yeah. who created an app that yeah, did something that like did this? that did something like this, too. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if that app is, is still around or not. Mm-hmm. Anyway, as I went around and people were talking about how great it was yeah. and how amazing it is, and it does look really fun. Yeah. Um, it turned out for me to be a little um, exercise in reading the small print. So just a PSA, if you see this animated drawings by Meta AI Mm -hmm. uh, going around, Meta AI, or at least Meta, is the new name for Facebook. Uh So they rebranded this uh, Facebook to Meta. Mm -hmm. And if you read the terms and conditions, they're not very long and they're not very legalese, but they do say you need to be 18 (laughs) plus to use the tool. (laughs) But yet it's advertised as like, make your children's drawings come alive. Yes. Mm -hmm. And when you upload your drawing, you grant Meta Mm. and its affiliated companies, licensees and representatives the chance to do whatever they want to do with your drawing. You give them a perpetual, irrevocable, non-exclusive, royalty-free license to distribute and perform and display wherever they want to put it. So I would just, And this is why you read the small, the fine print, This is why you read the the terms, yes. Just if you know what you're getting in for, then Mm -hmm. then fine. Yeah, sure, absolutely. But I would just... Maybe caution you if you wanted to do this with your whole class and everybody's drawing pictures and <laughs> yeah. uploading them. And you never know where they're going to end up That's or what right. they're going to do with them. Yeah. But you give them permission to do it. Yeah. Tacitly. Mm. Good so, job. Way to, go. way to read the fine print there, Wiley. Read the fine print. Yeah. Well, speaking of Twitter. Yeah. Uh, Twitter is rolling out automatic captions for all videos that are uploaded to Twitter now. Oh, that's nice. I think it's a nice accessibility yeah. uh, option to have. Mm-hmm. It doesn't apply to old videos that have already sure. been uploaded. Okay. For some reason, it's from this point onwards when you upload a video. So you may see some videos now on Twitter people have uploaded that will automatically caption inside the app. So that's useful to have. Yeah. Um, I have... 
I mean, I suppose my generation, I'm on Facebook, you know, fairly frequently, and I very rarely listen to a video, but I always read the closed captions. Yes. So I just find that really nice that that's automatically added. I appreciate that a lot. And I see more and more now, like, not that I watch a whole lot of TikTok, but on yeah. Instagram oh, and yeah. things, Instagram mm-hmm. Reels, yeah. we're, we're Instagram yeah. Reel people, uh-huh. people yep. will have like, you know, they'll be talking, but they'll also yeah. have the captions that come up there yeah. as well. There's lots of apps and things that do that. Yeah. Next up, uh, this is late breaking news, yeah, and we today, only found right? this yeah. out this morning. So Don Johnston Tools are joining the text help family of products. So these are two, I would say like, giants of the AT world yeah. that are getting together here right. and joining forces. So Snap and Read, CoWriter, WordBank, QuizBot, and the UPAR mm-hmm. are now all a part of the Text Help family where, you know, you have Text Help Read and Write and Equatio and all those other yeah. tools together. So joining forces. Yeah, I saw that, um, you know, while I was kind of skimming the article that Snap and Read will now be able to read math and Equatio out loud. Mm-hmm. And that math language is always tricky, I think, for accessibility. So um, I'll be interested to see that. And then I I don't know. I've used OrbitNote. Okay. I don't love OrbitNote. Have you used it? So remind me, OrbitNote is the reading, it's the write, PDF, PDF yeah, reader. It's the PDF reader. Yes. I don't know why they rebranded that. I don't Orbit know either because they changed it. I mean, yeah. and I think, the, I think the tools are different now too or maybe not as user-friendly or something, but – so hopefully there'll be some improvements to Orbit Note then with the addition of CoWriter. I don't know. Could be. I don't know enough about all of those, but I'll be interested to see how it all tosses out in the end. Mm-hmm. Another uh, update we have here is, <laughs> I don't know if you saw this one. I happened to. No. I did just happen to see this one by accident, and that is the ability to control slides shared by another participant okay. inside of Zoom. Okay. So it's kind of like when you're a co-host, yeah. you're, you can request permission to advance the slides of uh, somebody else okay. if you are sharing that together. Mm-hmm. I think we've talked about that inside of Pear Deck. In Pear Deck, yeah. So you can now do it inside of Zoom, even mm-hmm. if you're not using Pear Deck, I guess. Yeah. Well, and I feel like you, can't you within Zoom... Um, ask for permission to control someone's desktop? Yes, you can. Yeah. So isn't that the same type of thing? I would feel like it would be an extension, extension of, that of that or yeah. some kind of uh, version of that. Yeah. yeah. For those people that are trying to, you know, provide assistance to someone on the other side of the screen, mm-hmm. that ability to control someone else's desktop in a Zoom call is yeah. nice. So if you're hosting any webinars or yeah. doing any virtual PD, yeah. something to look out for. For sure. I'll put a link for that in the show notes. Mm-hmm. And last but not least, I thought I'd just throw this one in here since we're going to talk about some research and yeah. studies. There was a 2021 teacher spending study okay. that came out recently from savings.com. Mm-hmm. And they reckon that the average out-of-pocket spending by a teacher is $511 per year. Wow. That's, that's a, a lot. lot. <laughs> it's a lot. And that's the average. That must yeah, mean right. some people are spending more, more than, than that. More than that. Yeah. Well, and I wonder, too, if I, I would be curious of how many teachers are buying subscriptions or memberships to, like, tools of some sort mm-hmm. on their own dime. And yep. then, you know, so that their students can use it because there just aren't funds to do that type of thing. And those are pricier things, too. You know, not to mention just the other day-to-day stuff that you feel like you, 
you know, need to grab as far as paper and pencils and all that extra stuff. Right. Not only just for your classroom use, but for students who might need it because they, you know, didn't come to school with it or whatever. So... Yeah, there is a breakdown of some of the things, and, and then the top one is almost what you said there. So non-consumable classroom supplies, including yeah. books, curriculum, equipment, and software. Average spending is $136 per teacher. Yeah. Classroom decor, $121. Consumable student supplies, $100. Food and snacks, prizes and rewards. And then cleaning supplies and hand sanitizer, because... Mm. You can never get enough of that never right now. Never have enough of that. That's right. Yeah. Hmm. So I don't know what to say about that other yeah, than we... there's nothing to say, probably. We feel your pain. Yeah, um, right. And uh, we hope for, for more education funding for all of that stuff. Well, and I feel like you... Was this... Was it episode 100 that you are starting to compile some um, tech tools that are going free or you can get a free... What was... What was what's... You, you say the words. <laughs> you say the words around that resource that you're creating. I started to put a wake together of edtech companies who are offering pro accounts to teachers for free. Okay. So you can save a little bit of money if you take yeah. advantage of some of those, but if they don't happen to be tools that you are using or yeah. need to use, then, well, you might not get as much benefit from it, but there are some breaks out there for teachers. Mm-hmm. We just got to find them and keep track of them. Right. All right, so up next, our main course today, Serve to You Piping Hot, is research-based learning. So we are taking the Edutopia article called The 10 Most Significant Education Studies of 2021. We're going to talk about some of them, not all of them, and break it down for you, give some summaries of what those things are, and then provide some thoughts, our thoughts, which you may... (laughs) Love or hate? I don't know. <laughs> well, I was thinking it's been a while since Mindy yeah. got her soapbox out. Yeah, right. So I mean, I love it. I need I'm that giving you my a stage old, like, here. clunk, clunk, clunk. Yeah, we did yeah. this once before. Yeah. I, I looked it up. It was episode 55 at the beginning of 2019. Yeah. But because education is changing all the time, you know, there's always new research and things that come out. So this is a summary of some of the, the best in Edutopia's eyes of mm-hmm. what is going on in education right now. So where do we want to start, Mindy? Well, do you want to start with the first one, which is around social emotional learning? I thought this was an interesting one. Um, so what the research shows, I'm going to try and get this as clear as I can, (laughs) um, is that there were parents who were feeling like social emotional learning or SEL learning were, um, maybe not as important or shouldn't be prioritized as highly as academic learning, um, Because a lot of times the social emotional learning we might refer to as things like soft skills or we say growth mindset a lot and that uh, families or parents sometimes feel like they don't either A, really understand what that means or that it's not as important as the academic learning that should be happening um, at school. Right. It says here the term social-emotional learning was very unpopular. Parents sure. wanted to steer their clear, kids clear of it. But when the researchers added a simple clause and changed it to social-emotional and academic learning, right. 
the popularity shot all the way up to number two <laughs> in the rankings. Yeah. So yeah, it made me think about you know the the branding of things yeah. and, and how we market yes. things to parents because in education we are just swimming in jargon yes. all the time yeah, and right. you know acronyms and all kinds of stuff and parents don't necessarily know what that stuff is and right. so we need to give it better names or we need to do a better job of explaining what it is yeah and um the other thing that i thought was interesting too is that um i think one of the things that i wrote down when i wrote this or was reading through this was just that how important it is to if we're worried about um maybe what SEL learning looks like, how important it is to make sure that it's more embedded into everyday situations and have it be part of modeling that teachers do for students. So if we're marketing it as like it's sole SEL learning and this is we're just doing it during this time that people might get a little squishy about it, thinking mm-hmm. like, well, we have all these academics. We have all these things that we're supposed to be right. um, covering. And I think teachers probably feel that way too. I don't know. Maybe I'm putting words in their mouth. But if we can, you know, talk through things with students in the moment in those everyday situations that it might not seem so squishy to parents if they're, you know, hearing their kids talk about the conversations they're having in the moment as opposed to just this dedicated time to SEL learning or something like that. I don't know. Maybe that's just my parents' perspective too. I don't know. So maybe we need more kind of rigorous language or yeah, more descriptive know. language yeah. or Yeah. Yeah, it it did say here for some the language felt suspiciously like code for liberal indoctrination <laughs> inside of quotes there and I was like And yeah, and I mean that's unfortunately yeah. something I yeah. I can see we do live in a a very political Yeah. world right, right now. now. Politically yeah. charged. Yes. Yeah, that's yes, what I was going right, to say. And right. so we need to Think about ways we can make schools less political and try and put that teaching and learning at the forefront and not put people off before we even start yeah. teaching something new, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Well, and the last thing I'll say about it, too, is, and I think you mentioned this a little bit, was that um, they started with phrases like soft skills, but just the small um, switch to life skills made a huge difference. Hmm. Yeah. Which makes sense. It does. You yeah. know, like life skills yeah. does sound a little bit more powerful than it does. Soft than skills. soft skills. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Maybe that's my old pick yourself up by the bootstraps kind of mentality. Like life skills sounds better than soft skills, but who knows? There's lessons in there for all of us. For all of us. Yeah. Yes. Right. All right. So let's try another one here. Okay. Um, I'm going to pick on this one and do my best to explain it because I know mm. Mindy and I have already had a long conversation about it, but. The pretest is the key test. Mm-hmm. So, when taking a pretest before any learning on a new topic, students were found to be more successful than those who did not take a pretest because it turns out they were looking for the correct answers to questions that they had missed in that pretest mm-hmm. and kind of underlying the idea that being wrong is an important milestone towards being. Right. Mm-hmm. So having that pretest as the option there for students just to gauge their learning and see where they are at this moment in time. I don't think that's an uncommon practice for people to do pretests. Right. But just to compare it to not doing a pretest. Um, mm-hmm. The the study that came out last year really emphasized the growth that kids can make 
when they see where they are, what they know and what they don't know, mm -hmm. and then when they actually engage in the learning after the pretest, they have a better idea of you know what they need to work on, where they need to improve, and right. what they need to do. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I think we talk more and more about the power of student, student metacognition. And to me, that's, you know, if students are kind of using a pre-assessment to help them identify their gaps in their learning, it definitely probably gives them a little bit more ownership moving forward. And so to me, this one wasn't like, I mean, t I just felt like, yeah, I think we know this, right? Like mm -hmm. we know that um, how important it is to, and even for us as teachers, you know, to know what students know before we even get started so that the learning that we're providing or at least guiding is is in the right direction. So I think it, it helps reinforce some understandings we already have. It helps us appreciate why this is still good practice. Mm-hmm. So the next one is teaching is learning. And I think following up with the one we just talked about is probably something that, you know, is is becoming hopefully fairly common knowledge is that students know the learning better if they also have to teach it to someone else. What I thought was interesting about this study is that they split students into two different groups. One group just did the learning, knowing that they were going to have to take a test or whatever. And the other group was told that they were going to have to teach someone else at the end of the learning. Mm -hmm. And that even though the students were not, they didn't follow through with that second step. They didn't actually make them teach it to someone else. Just that precursor of thinking that they were going to have to teach someone else made their um, test scores were, were better by like 9% or something, which I think is a pretty... It's a pretty hefty chunk. Yeah. Um, so even though they didn't have to, and that's what I feel like we do do a lot. We do, you know, have kids say, okay, now explain it to someone else, which is fantastic. But even just the precursor of thinking you're going to have to teach someone else improved test scores. Yeah. And I think that works for adults as yeah. well. You know, like if you and I are going to oh, stand yeah. in front of a, yeah. a group it's of like teachers. It's like an accountability thing, right? Exactly. You, <laughs> you're expected to know your stuff. And so we over-prepare and we yeah. dig deeper than we yep. may normally have digged. Yeah. And digged. digged. Doug. <laughs> Hi, Doug. <laughs> and it's just one of those things. Yeah. It puts more pressure on you. It adds more accountability, like you said on there. So, yeah. What's that expression? Those who can't teach. Is that what people used yeah, to say? Yeah, right. Yeah. And, uh yeah, this would maybe fly in the face of that. So yeah, yeah, I like that. Yeah. I think maybe it's something that you don't want to necessarily do all the time because I think it would lose some oh, of that power. Oh, I would power think so too. If all of your assignments Just were yes. <laughs> Just kidding. Just to have that mindset of going deeper into the content. I like that. Yeah. Um, there was a teacher that we're working with in one of our school districts, and she had been using the parking lot, which is um, the way she was using it is that students were taking questions that they had and would post them into a parking lot. And then she could go and find who needed what so that she could, you know decide if kids needed to group together or whatever. Is this so, like a board on the wall or yeah, something? Okay, yeah, it's not yep. like the actual parking lot. No, not okay. the actual parking lot. Yeah. Um, and so an aspect that she added to it was um, that students could go up and 
share on a post-it what they could teach to someone else. So if students went up to add their question to this board, they could look in the column where students had said, hey, I could teach someone Mm -hmm. this. Come and ask me a question. And I thought that was a really nice way for kids to kind of take ownership and maybe adds that extra degree of, hey, you know what? I want to be able to put my name up there that I, you know, can teach it to someone else. And so you wouldn't have to constantly be like, okay, now you need to teach someone else. But the opportunity to do that if someone were to need help was just a nice way to do that without any work from her. Like she didn't, yeah. you know, doesn't yeah. have to do anything else. It's just kids volunteering to help others. Yeah. And it makes me think of, you know, that ask three before me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you ask the wrong three people, then yeah, you're, in trouble, you're not right? going to get any, yeah. <laughs> any further. But if you knew which three people to ask, yeah. mm-hmm. then that's much more powerful. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Divide and conquer. Divide and conquer. Okay, so let's do number seven, which was about racial and gender bias still being present in children's books. Yep. I think, I don't know, I feel like this was surprising that we still have to talk about this and that this is still an issue that people are are finding. But some of the most popular and well-regarded children's books, including Caldecott and Newbery Honors, among them persistently depict black, Asian, and Hispanic characters with lighter skin, according to new research. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so one of their examples was um, books about Martin Luther King Jr., who... um, Okay, I'm reading in quotes. Martin Luther King Jr.'s chocolate complexion is actually depicted as light brown or beige. And I thought that was interesting. Something I probably wouldn't have recognized um, mm-hmm. myself, but I I was talking to this uh, about this with my husband because I was just like, oh my gosh, I, I don't know that I ever would have recognized this being who I am, you know, and um, and... I was I was really shocked, but I'm so glad that someone is looking at this because I'm not sure that without people actually looking into this and bringing it to the surface that that it would be something that um, that would be talked about. The other thing that I thought was interesting is that female characters are often seen but not heard. Yeah, yeah. I'm and sure I think my husband would be like, "That sounds great." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, I think it's just one of those things that you know we've been talking about more diversity in literature for yes, a long time. Yes, right. And maybe just as we thought we were getting there, it's you know we need to just take a step back and think, you know, okay, well there is more diversity, but we're not yeah. depicting it in the right way. Right. So. Mm-hmm. We still need to, or we think do we are, but yeah. But then when something like this comes up, you're like, "Oh my gosh, that's a whole another layer that I had not even thought about." So yeah, and I think it speaks to why teaching librarians are yeah important, yeah, and that uh, can help be that that filter and you know be custodians of good literature yes. for our students. Yeah, right. All right, so um, number eight, sure, digital versus paper. Yeah. I thought this was really interesting. This was an interesting um, one. I didn't really so I think um so I guess I should we should preface it a little bit by they talked about digital books. Yes. And paper in your hand books. And that um and I think we know this. I think this research has been out before that kids the comprehension levels often are better with paper print than they are with digital print. Mm-hmm. However, what they're saying too is that with ebooks, there is um, more likely, of course, to be motion or sound or things that might be a little bit more engaging, especially for kids who maybe need a little bit more engagement to read, like my son. Yeah. Um, 
and also that um, one of the things that I I know they mentioned too was the ability to look up words in text. You know, a lot of times yep. you can you know tap on a word and have it defined for you. And I've used that a ton in OverDrive when I check out. And I hate ebooks, but mm-hmm. the, occasionally I read them because I need the next book in the series, and it's going to take me seven months to get it from the reserve list. But I have really enjoyed the ability to like look up a word and be like, what word is this? I've never seen this word before. And so I think it probably increases some comprehension too, vocabulary, things like that. Yeah. And going back to the start of the show, and we talked yeah. about Don Johnson and text help, yeah, you know, right. the ability to have some of that text read aloud mm-hmm. is really interesting too. So, yeah. I mean, this is like two sides of the same sword here yeah. or something. It's like... Print is going to be better for maybe most kids most of the time, but you can't discount digital because of that multimedia content, because of the extra accessibility for, you know, the extra tools like the built-in vocabulary tools. Right. So, yeah, I'm I'm just not sure what the way forward is. Yeah, with it. I don't know. I, I think it's basically saying that digital is not going to replace paper yet. And yeah. there's, there's still a place for both. Yeah. And then we just need mm-hmm. to try and... Find a balance and try and find when is the best option for using each text. Yeah, and I thought I had read in there, and I'm just trying to pull this from my memory, but that there was something about that other apps have been disabled or something like that on those ebook readers. So that that's the other thing I think about reading on a digital platform of some sort yeah. is you have more distractions. Yeah, I mean, do. stuff is mm-hmm. popping up on your screen, or you're getting text messages too, or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I'd be interested, like, in five years with the way technology, you know, continues to improve. I'll be curious in five years what research like this is and if, we'll, if we see something different by then. Yeah, I, I agree. And I would like somebody to do digital versus paper versus, like, audio format. Oh, yeah. And do, like, you know, because, yeah. you know, these are both kind of visual. Yeah. Visual text. So if you had an audio text in there, how would that come out in the wash? Yeah. Yeah. I know, um, like I've mentioned before, you know, my son doesn't really love to read, but he did have to read a book or something. I don't know. I'm pretty hands off. I don't know if people know this about me. My parenting is real mediocre, but um, he was talking to me about having to read a book and I'm like, well, that's great. Where is it? And he's like, "Ah, I'm just listening to it. And I'm like, oh, but you know, and when he finished listening to it, he's like, oh, that was really great. I really enjoyed it. And so I guess at some point you just got to embrace mm-hmm. the audio book thing, even though he doesn't struggle with reading. It's not yeah. something that's hard for him. He just prefers not to do it. Mm-hmm. But so I don't know. All right. So I think the last one, is it our last one? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So the last one. <laughs> The last one? <laughs> You're kind of like shuffling I know, under the I'm table trying to, there. Like, no, I'm not. I'm trying to think about how to start the talk about it. So it's all about um, – it was some research around COVID yeah. and um, the stress levels that teachers are feeling, which is extremely high. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I wrote down about this was this new term, term which I had not heard before, techno-stress. Have you heard this? I had not heard this one before. So um, I was reading the actual, actual research that okay. was um, cited in this article just because I was kind of interested. And that techno stress is the stress or anxiety that people feel when using technology, which seems pretty self-explanatory. Um, and the reason that it's being used 
when talking with teachers is because technology has kind of provided a new working condition for them that they might be unfamiliar with um, in ways because they are starting to have to reimagine what their instruction might look like. Um, their typical tech problems with, you know, any typical tech problems that you mm-hmm. might come across. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also lack of support. The other thing that I noticed too is that people have more techno stress if they went into um, the pandemic with low tech confidence. Oh, okay. Which makes sense. That does make sense. You know, because Mm -hmm. it really, I mean, the pandemic Mm -hmm. has certainly elevated the use of educational technology. Yeah. Yeah, The the minimum bar that's required for using technology has gone up. It's gone up. Yeah. So. So that's one of the reasons that – one of many reasons that teachers are feeling a lot of stress right now around COVID. So. Techno stress. Techno yeah. stress, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, it also talks about the erosion of boundaries between yeah. work and home. Right. And the more you use technology, the more you're, like, always connected and always on. Yeah. So that kind of goes in line with um, the other finding from one of these studies, which was the average teacher workload – is higher than it ever has been before. Yeah. And I think at least you and I would say in our experience of talking to teachers, that's, yeah. that's exactly what we're, we're right. hearing right now, yeah. that people are just overwhelmed and... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I saw um, that people, like the percentage of teachers that were working, I think the number was 56 hours a week, was like in 5%, which is what I feel like I was... I feel like I was working 56 hours a week when yeah. I was in the classroom, which was one of the reasons I left the classroom. It was too much. Um, so I feel this, I feel, you know, I don't know what it's like to teach during COVID. I do know what it's like to feel a lot of stress and feel overworked. Um, I do know that this is probably at a different level than it was when I was there, but that it went from like 5% of teachers feeling fifty, like working 56 hours to like, I mean, a crazy amount, like 90% or something like that. Like, I cannot wrap my brain around that. Yeah. That's horrible. In April 2021, 92% of 92%, teachers okay. said their jobs were more stressful than prior to the pandemic. Well, that makes sense. So, yeah, that's basically <laughs> that seems right. all the teachers said <laughs> all things the teachers are in more the world. stressful because of the pandemic. So, yeah. Yeah. What are we doing to to help those teachers. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the question we need to be thinking. Yeah. What are we doing to try and make things better for, for teachers? That's that's the challenge for administrators right now, just to for sure. try and make sure everybody gets that time to have mental health breaks and yeah. get the support they need to do the things that they still have to do. Mm-hmm. Nothing new there. That, there was nothing shocking, nothing shocking in that study at all. Yeah, so there oh, you that go. seems right. Co- COVID <laughs> is the worst. Yeah, COVID is the worst. <laughs> All right, now on to my favorite part of the show. It's Tick Nuggets. You go first. Oh, okay. <laughs> no debate this time <laughs> no, about uh-uh. who's going first. Um, so my Tick Nuggets are sponsored by Richard Byrne this week. So both my nuggets come from Richard Byrne. I'm going to start off with one that's called Volley. So... oh. <laughs> Just I was waiting for something else, like something to follow that. <laughs> I almost said Volley for Education, but then I realized the actual tool is just called Volley. Uh, so 
Um, this is one of those tools, and you know, I'm always kind of curious about tools that are created by former teachers. This is one such tool. Uh, used to be a teacher, then became um, a, a trainer in the business world, and then became a kind of tech entrepreneur. Okay. And so he created this tool called Volley, which is kind of like a cross between Flipgrid and maybe like Slack. So it's kind of like a multimedia Flipgrid and Slack? Yeah. What? Okay, oh, it's keep like talking. A, it's like a communication tool. All right, all right. Where you would um, like leave little messages for people. Okay. So you can either leave, uh, you invite, you create up a space like you would in Slack or something, like a okay. little group, and invite whoever you want there. So it could be, you know, your whole class that you had in there, or yeah. it could be maybe just a, a small group of students that are all working on a project together remotely or collaboratively, and you can leave messages for those people in a variety of ways so you can uh, do a video message you can add some text Hmm. you can add gifts you Mm -hmm. can add pdfs you can do lots of different ways and you just have this communication platform so i think our team for example mostly use these things like voxer to leave messages just audio messages or text messages to each other this adds video and files and and other such things on there and we should try this maybe we should Voxer needs know. to. I don't know. Oh, Voxer annoys me. Yeah. <laughs> I get I get little bugs and stuff on Voxer that other people don't seem to get. Yeah. I don't think, but I don't know. But it's it's kind of turn based, and then you can just go through and flip through and, and listen to all the messages and things. I don't know how people adults aren't always the biggest fans of leaving like video messages for each other. Mm, but maybe they you know, maybe maybe. But I, I could see if you know each other well, and you know, like our team does. I don't yeah. think it'd be a problem for our team. So. Yeah. Yeah, just a different way to do things. You can even do screencast as well. Do a screen oh. recording and just drop that straight into the huh. conversation too. So if you're talking about something, say, here, let me show you, and then do a screen recording and throw that in there too. Hmm. So Interesting. Volley. Okay. It is um, completely free. Oh, oh. wow. Shoot. You, they, okay. they have a tab at the top that says pricing, and then you click on it, and it says free. <laughs> yes, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, and there's no catch. No so, catch. There you go. Check it out, and uh, I'll maybe link to Richard Burns' um, blog post on it. He has some educational uses for it, and the Volley for Education page I will also link to as well. Okay, so I have one that's not free, so sorry. Okay. And it is an app called the Sounding Out Machine, and what it does is it helps children, students, younger students, I don't know. I mean, I guess older students, too, depending on their needs, um, to have it modeled for them of how they would chunk words or break them into syllables and use phonic skills to figure out how to decipher a word. So I felt like a lot of times when I was in my first and second grade classrooms, I'd have to, you know, I would sit next to kids and in small reading groups, you know, and we talk about how to chunk words and what to do. Well, the sounding out machine kind of does this for students um, so that a teacher wouldn't have to be sitting right there by them. So what you can do is take a picture of a book page or pull in pages from the photo library or even type in your words, and it will model for you how to um, phonetically chunk out, use syllables, whatever, to solve that word. Hmm. Makes them a little bit more... Independent. Interesting. Than needing help with all the words. 
I just had to look it up there while you're talking. I'm, yeah. I'm the sounding hat machine. So it looks like it is um, iOS only. Is yeah, that correct? I think so. I think so. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I didn't say that earlier. I said app, but I didn't say I um, iPad only. Okay. So kind of an assistive technology app. Yeah. I like it. Okay. Yeah. With a little bit of a theme running through <laughs> our show here from the start to I the end. I think my next one actually feels that way too. Continue okay. though. All right. My second tech nugget borrowed from Richard Byrne is called Ziplet, which Ziplet. is one I had not heard of before. So it's an exit ticket tool. Ooh, okay. So I think exit tickets, I, I think like Google Forms, and they're fine, but they're not always the most like, I don't know, interesting or... yeah interactive or engaging so i feel like these ones look a little bit nicer and uh, they're very quick and easy to do okay they've just had an update now so the students can uh, use ziplet without even logging on they just go to a url that you give them i like that and uh, you can do a very quick exit ticket Mm, so um from a company out of australia i believe the Free plan lets you have up to three classes, okay. 50 students per class. Oh, that's a big class. I know. Yeah. And unlimited <laughs> responses, too. Oh. So, yeah. I mean, for some people, that is going to be all you ever need. Right. That's if right. Yeah. You are a middle school, high school teacher with like eight different classes. Yeah. Well, you would maybe have to upgrade to Ziplet Plus, which mm-hmm. is $2.99 a month. So it's not. Huge uh, expense, but it gives you unlimited classes, unlimited students, unlimited responses. Okay. So, zip I've never heard of that before. No, I had not heard of that one before either. So, thanks, Richard Byrne. And, right. and me for sharing it. Oh, yeah. And you. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. So, my next one, I believe, comes from Tony Vincent. I should click on this and make sure that that's the tweet that I shared. Yep. Tony Vincent. Did you know? that you can change the size of captions on a YouTube video. Have you shared this before? I don't think I Did you have know this is a shared thing? this before. Okay, so... Talk more while I look it up. All right, so <laughs> if you are... Let's imagine you're playing a YouTube video, like, for your whole class. Okay. So you're projecting it, and you have closed captions on because you know that that is an important accessibility feature that yes. YouTube provides. So if your students are way at the back of the room, they might have a harder time reading and seeing those captions. So you can, A, drag the captions to the top of the screen and then press the plus on your keyboard to increase the text size. You can drag captions. Okay, I'm going to try this. To the top of the screen. I'm going to try that now here. I've got one playing. Okay. Oh, you can drag it to right. the top of the screen. I didn't and know that. And you good. can press the plus button on your keyboard to increase the text size. Do I have to press shift as well here? Oh, okay. Well, that took it back down to the bottom of the screen for me. And then can you move but it back, But then I though? can drag it back up. Yeah. So it should be in the other order, maybe. Yeah. Make it big and then... <laughs> then drag it. Drag her up. Yeah. So I had to do like shift, but shit and minus makes it smaller. Huh? Hmm. Interesting. I did not know that was a thing. I did not know that was a thing either. So good job, Tony Vincent. Thank you for bringing that up November 9th of 2021. So I don't know how new it is. He was just resharing it, but it for certain has been around since that long ago. I will say that if you go into 
the if you click on closed captions in yeah. a video, yeah, and you get to choose the language you want yeah. it in. There's a button there that says options, yeah, and then you can choose the font color, font size, background color, background opacity, all font the type, all the things. But but those little keyboard shortcuts are super handy because it doesn't tell you any of those keyboard of those shortcuts things, yeah. in there. It just gives you the choice to make things I do feel like I just saw something today, too, that was like how to get those keyboard um, shortcuts for YouTube, but I can't remember what it is. Mm, I'll look that up. I can't – I'll think about it. Somebody shared that, then I'll think about it. Oh, it was uh, it was the guy that we had on um, the podcast guest, the foreign language guy. Oh, Joe Dale. Joe Dale um, shared it. He was okay. like, oh, here's a screenshot of all of that. Maybe I'll look that up and – Pass that your way. Friend of the show, Joe Dale. Yeah. Yeah. But now I need to reset my closed captions on YouTube because they are ginormous. <laughs> ginormous. But, hey, I don't need to wear my glasses anymore. Okay. <laughs> All right. So I think that is everything we have for this week. Anything else need to add, Mindy? Or I don't are we think good? so. I don't think so. You don't want to throw any more education research at us? No, I don't. Good for now. I do like research, but... I'm done for today. I do have one more thing. I found this tweet from Joe Dale. So it's pressed, press shift and the question mark to see YouTube's keyboard shortcuts. Shift and the question mark. Yeah. It works. Genius. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. Yeah. This is uh, changing my life on YouTube right now. Okay. Just one keyboard shortcut at a time. But unfortunately, that is everything we have now. Is it? <laughs> so Are we sorry. sure? Yes, I'm really done now. Come back okay, wrap it up. Now. I'm done. I'm sorry. Okay. So until next time. This has been the Attack Takeout. We hope it hit the spot.